Well, good morning. As Pastor Matt said, my name is Curtis, and I'm one of the pastors here. Actually, I'm going to do this first, taking my gum out, because my wife, who's on the front row, this is one of the two things that spur the, the fiercest arguments in our home. So I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, but no, I'm, I'm one of the teaching, or I'm one of the pastors here, and typically, like Matt said, you'll usually see like me strapped with a guitar and leading worship, but this is kind of a different role for me. But honestly, I'm really excited because, like he said, this is a, a point of passion for me, and it's also, I know that it's a gift God has given me that I need to flex more. And, um, and so I'm excited to talk about what we are going to talk about today, and that is our identity in Christ. And before we start, I want to just read this quote. This quote is kind of will set up the purpose of why we are in this 30-week Believe series, okay? So if you're just joining us for the first time today, we're in a 30-week Believe series, and kind of this quote will set this up. The churches, this is from George Gallup Jr., and he says this, the churches in America face no greater challenge than overcoming biblical literacy. And the prospects for doing so are formidable because the stark fact is many Christians don't know what they believe or why. Our faith is not rooted in Scripture. We revere the Bible, but we don't read it. Some observers maintain that the Bible has not in any profound way penetrated our culture. Isn't that just kind of an ouch Statement, many Christians believe, but they don't know why, okay? And so um, every week, we're in our fifth week now, and so every week we've had this key question that we've uh, uh, tried to um, address with a belief statement. So I'm going to just briefly recap for you guys. Um, In the first week we said, who is God? That was our starting off question. And if you know this, I don't have these on the screens, but this is good flexing of our memory. If you know it, you can say it along with me. I believe the God of the Bible is the one true God, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was hoping more than five people would have remembered it. (laughs) It's okay. So then it led us to the question, well, does, okay, if that's who God is, does he care for me? And we answered that with the belief statement, I believe the God of the Bible Sorry, I believe that God is involved in and cares about my daily life. So then, how can I have a relationship with God? And so the belief statement that backed that up is, I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So I'm even having to kind of look at my notes a little too because I'm, I'm not the best at having these fully memorized, if I'm being honest. And then that, that led us to the question that we studied last week. Well, how do I know God's will for my life? And we recited our, our belief statement that backed that up is, I believe the Bible is inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and my actions. My beliefs and my actions. And so that leads us to today. Our question that, and I know that we've had to cancel a lot of our belief groups this last week due to weather, so I don't know how many people had a chance to read their chapter. But if you did, our key question for this week was, who am I? Who am I? And so the belief statement for this is this. Say it with me if you want. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Let's do that one more time because I know that you guys can read this. So I believe that I am significant. Amen. Okay, you guys are dismissed. We can just go home. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? I'm significant. 
because I'm a child of God. And so I, I like what our, <clears throat> in our book on page 79, um, it kind of gave our map for this week. And here's what it said, um, the, the, the point that I really thought was awesome. It says, our worth is no longer defined by what we do, but by who we know. We are significant because we are children of God. And so let's just pray. I know we have already prayed. Let's just pray again. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that um, for those of that were able to brave the ice and the snow and come join us today and worship with us. God, we do believe, and I'm not just saying this because I am speaking this morning, but I believe that what you have for us today is extremely important because I've seen how it impacts and still continues to impact my everyday life, God. Our worth needs to derive only and always from who you say we are. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. And so if, if Randy Frazee, Randy Frazee's pastor of Westside, he's the guy that wrote this book, does an awesome job. If he would have hired me to add another key statement, I know we have, you got Curtis, we have so many key statements. Don't give me another one. Well, I'm not saying you have to memorize this one. But this is what was revealed to me. And it would be this. Knowing who I am will influence how I live. Let me say that again. Knowing who I am will influence how I live. And I wanted to share kind of a sort of an embarrassing and humorous story with you this morning that um, backs this up because our actions will be reflected on who we think we are, okay? And so uh, growing up in high school, growing up in high school, growing up as a kid, um, I know this is hard to believe that I, by, based on how ruggedly handsome I am, but um, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends, okay? So, in fact, uh, Valerie was only the second, my wife Valerie was only the second girl that I ever dated, and I ended up marrying her. So, I guess you don't even need to get third time's a charm with, with my story. But, so, like, I was very, uh, one of the, your typical, or hopefully it was typical, maybe it was more than normal, but, like, I was very insecure as a teenager in high school. Um, and so I, I remember my first relationship and maybe a lot of it was just giddiness because, Hey, I finally have a girl that would talk to me and that sort of thing. Um, but her name was Jill and like, she was new to our school and we started dating and like, um, you know, everything was going well. I felt like she was a very godly woman, um, which what drew a lot, a lot of things to me, barring I'm 17. Okay. So it's like, I'm talking like. I'm very mature at this time, but nevertheless, it was my first relationship, <clears throat> and I remember about three months in, I thought everything was going well, and she, she called me on the phone, and it was that dreaded, it's not working out. That floored me as a 17-year-old kid. I know I'm young at that point, but it, it floored me, and in the words of, of Jim Carrey, who I love to quote a lot, don't hold that against me, like, I didn't even see it coming. <laughs> It floored me, and here's, so I was like, well, Jill, like, why? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I thought things were, were fine, and she, she had reflected, and she said to me, she said, over the past month or so, and here's my current situation, like, my best friend in, in high school, his name was Josh Jackson, and no, it's not the former KU basketball player, so, um, uh, but... <clears throat> 
So Josh Jackson was one of those kids that, um, and if he ever watches this today, this is in no no way like a, a diss on him. It was it's been a, like my learning in this. He was like the most popular kid in school, um, one of the funniest kids in school, like extremely handsome. So he was a babe magnet. So why wouldn't I like to be around Josh? Because I.e., if you're around Josh, you're around all the babes in the school. So you close proximity there. Um, but, you know, all this thing's going for him. But here's the thing is, unbeknownst to me, I had started to act like Josh. I'd started to talk like Josh. And, and, and Jill even pointed out, she's like, you even treat your parents differently. She's basically, the, 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 the boy, I'm not a man at this point, but the boy you are is not the one that I started dating. And it was very eye-opening to me. And I didn't realize that my actions... And who I thought I was, was determining my actions. And so, um, what I want to point out is that we all have an identity, whether we think we do or not. And I struggle, if I'm being honest with you, I struggle with the phrase that I hear sometimes, well, I'm just trying to find myself. I don't know why I use that, that, that voice for that phrase. But I struggle with that phrase. I'm just trying to find myself. Here's the thing is your identity, or here's the thing, whatever is influencing you most is probably where your identity is, okay? So even, I know this is journeying pretty deep here, (laughs) but even obsession with finding yourself can actually be your current identity, and so this morning, I'm going to uh, hit some points, like four main points that Frazee pointed out in our chapter this week, but I'm also going to do my best to um, teach you a couple tools that have been very visual, um, impactful for my life. And so the first point is this, is we, we need, before um, we can look at who we are and where we're going, we need to kind of look at who we were, if that makes sense. And so we all... This is the level playing field. We all were spiritual orphans. That's point number one. We all were spiritual orphans. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 13. Paul says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are the Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Paul has these big run-on sentences, so just bear with me. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from your citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants and of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. You see, we were born on the outside looking in, but thanks be to God, He has a plan for this. Look what it says in John 1 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What a great promise. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And so this sets up our key scripture for today, and that is found in John 1 12, and it says this. Yet to all who did receive him, pay attention to these words here, to all who did receive him and those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so here's what I wanted to point out with that scripture because it's, it's very important what it says, to all who believed and received. 
So if you think of it in terms of adoption papers now, and Randy, when he gave the message, they, have a, they had a great, their youth pastor has a great story, and they incorporated that into the, the sermon, but I, I didn't have a way to do that story um, with us today, and you wouldn't know the guy anyways. But basically the guy was, a, was in and out of foster care and was um, adopted, you know, at the age of 13, I believe. And so here's the picture I want to paint that, like, our adoption papers aren't final. This is the spiritual connotation. Our adoption papers aren't final until we say yes. So there's, there's an action on our part. We're not just children of God without saying yes to God. And so, but when we do say yes, it leads us to our second point. We are adopted. And we sang beautifully that song today, We Are the Children of God, and We Are Adopted. So listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Through Jesus Christ, in accordance, pay attention to this, in accordance to his pleasure and will. If we look all the way back at Adam and Eve, the very beginning of it all, you see they fell from a relationship with God in the garden. God had it in mind, though, to adopt us back. It wasn't just like, okay, well, my plan A failed, so um, I guess the world is just left to be whatever it is. He still had a plan to adopt us back. He chose us. Adopting us pleases God. It, it, is, it is in his heart to do this for us. It is not a burden, but it is a passion. Notice what it said in that previous verse, according with his pleasure and his will. And so the moment we say yes, remember our adoption papers aren't final until we say yes to it. The moment we say yes to Christ, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, this is so cool, it's, it's sometimes hard for me to wrap my, my mind around this, but the Holy Spirit is deposited in you the moment you say yes to Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. This is on page 86 of your Believe book, or it's Romans 8.15. Here's what he says. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Hallelujah for that. Amen. The spirit you received, what was deposited in you, is what brought about your adoption to sonship. And because we are adopted children of God, verse 15 of of chapter 8 then goes on to say this, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. How many use that word today, Abba, very much? It doesn't get used a lot if we're being honest. But, I mean, what Abba really literally means is daddy. And I'm probably many of you already knew that. But here, here's what I want you to really try to catch today. Like, even if you need to close your eyes to, to limit distractions, think on this. The very God that spoke everything into existence, the very God, the very God the Father that breathed life into our lungs, therefore giving us life. So you breathing this morning. That's life from our Heavenly Father. That same 
God wants you to call him daddy. Okay, that was important to me. That was like a big eye-opening thing to me. And I, I hope you guys catch that because like that's super important. That same God longs for you to call him daddy. This is why it reinforces the truth that he craves and he desires relationship with us. When we were adopted, we were then given, this leads us to our third point, we are then given a new name. And we can see, like if you read in your belief book this last week, it talks about Abraham or Abram and Sarai and then how God changed their name from, Ab- from Abram to Abraham and from Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. And, um, and so we see that names have significance and importance. So when Valerie and I, and Valerie is, is um, our kid preschool director, in case you guys didn't put that um, together and that she's my wife because it, it's it is funny there's sometimes people like oh I didn't know that was your wife because she's usually down in the dungeon downstairs so a dungeon doesn't sound inviting to she's downstairs let's just say that but when we started having kids like we didn't just like grab the the look up the book okay what's the most popular name this year let's let's use that we actually like probably many of you that have children we actually put some thought and time and and intentionality to what we were going to name our children and so james jameson which is my youngest he's two my only boy um his his name means son of james pretty simple definition but there's a purpose for that like I'm an only child and my dad grew up with three other siblings one of them being a a man uh, well a boy when he no, I don't need to explain that but my uncle Steve was his only brother and he had two other sisters uncle my uncle Steve had two girls so he didn't have any boys so therefore like I felt this unsaid pressure to carry on the Biswell name and, you know, I had girl one, girl two. I'm like, man, am I going to have a boy, you know, like to carry on the name? Because my dad's name is James or Jim. My middle name is James from my dad. And so I have Jameson to kind of bear the name. So that shows the importance of, of names. My middle uh, kid is Quincy. She's four. And Quincy means fifth born. Now you're like, okay, Curtis, uh, you're not very good with math. She's your second kid, and you. So here's the thing: as as some of you know this, and I know that um, having relationship with a lot of you guys in this room, that many of you have gone through what we went through. It's it's sadly more common, but we had three early miscarriages before we had our first Lorelai, and so that name is important to us because it's the fifth child that my wife carried, and so it's important. Names are important. And then my oldest, Lorelai, her name means a siren of Germanic legend whose singing lures Rhine River boatmen to destruction on a reef. (laughs) So that one really, we didn't want Lorelai to grow up singing to lure people to destruction. But in all seriousness, like with her, my, my wife's sister, her only sister is named Laura. And, and so we, we liked the name Lorelai. And for, for us, it was significant because it attached to her sister, Laura. But as we read in our book, God gave Abraham, and I was, as I was alluding to earlier, God gave Abraham um, 
a, a new name to match the covenant he was making with people. So if you look in your bulletins today, um, I, I have a couple tools, and they're just triangles. They're nothing special, but they're just triangles, and I didn't give you a whole lot of space to write, so you'll have to write small, but, um, or you can use your back back side of the paper if you need to. But the first um, tool I want to show to teach you guys is the identity triangle, or it's also called the covenant triangle. And this has been one of the most important tools for me. Um, because here's the thing, it's so easy for us to get our identities jacked. Case in point is like a lot of times if I'm going somewhere and I'm introducing myself, if I don't, if I, it's just natural. Like I might say, my name is Curtis and I'm the worship pastor at New City Church or my name is Curtis and I'm the husband of Valerie or my name is Curtis and I'm Lorelai and Quincy's and Jameson's father. Like the list can go on. My name is Curtis. I am Jim Biswell's son. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if, if we're not being careful, we place our identities in all those things. Or if you've ever been a part of an addiction group, hi, I'm Curtis and I'm an alcoholic. You know, it's so easy to attach your identity with profession, addiction, family. And here's the thing. What happens when, when family's gone? What happens when your kids move out of the house? What happens when, thanks be to God, you overcome your addiction? What happens when you lose your spouse? Like, your, we, we can get into an identity crisis at that point if our identities are wrapped up in things other than being a child and a son of our Lord. And so at the top of your first triangle, here's how we, we portray this. Um, actually, let me read this first before I give you that first point. I know you have your pins out and you're ready. But Matthew three sixteen through 17 says this, because we need to go back and we need to look at Jesus' example in this story. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water... And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and I am well pleased. And what's so awesome about this scripture is we see a couple things. We see the Trinity portrayed in this. So God the Father is speaking down to Jesus the Son as he's being baptized by John. And as he comes up out of the water, then we see the Holy Spirit represented in the form of a dove resting on his shoulder. And so cool to see the Trinity aspect portrayed in that. But the second second point that it it derives, well, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry, I don't want to get to that quite yet. So what I want you to notice the punctuation, I'm not a grammar person, but the punctuation in this verse when it says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What is after that? A period. So if I could create a new form of punctuation, I don't know how you would apply for that, but I would come up with an exclamation period. See where my mind's going? Because that should be the biggest period in the whole Bible. You see what I'm saying? Fill in your name there. Let's make it personal. This is my daughter, Leandra, who I am well pleased, period. This is my son, Micah, who I am well pleased, period. 
Aren't you so glad for that period? It doesn't seem like anybody as glad as, as I am about that period. Thank you, Michelle. I feel like that is so strong, and it's one of the things that we tend to lose sight of, and that's why we derive our identity from other things, because we just like, well, that doesn't mean anything to us. So here's the other important thing I want to derive from that, that passage in, in Matthew 3.16 is this happens after baptism. God says this phrase, this is my son who am I well pleased, period, after he comes up out of the water. So there's an importance to this. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you have not been baptized into his family, then your identity can't be from the Father. And just that's how the scripture points it out. And so that's important to know. And so now we get to our, to our triangle, our triangle number one there. And if you put father at the top of that triangle. And then if you want to journey down just halfway. <clears throat> now this picture is what I got from Mike Breen. And so we, we do it a little different. So like if you go halfway between father and identity, write Jesus there. Because when, when God looks at you, he sees what? Hallelujah. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And so then we get down to identity. And out of identity, I know I'm kind of going through this fast. Like I am a lot more comfortable up here than I thought I would be. And so like I'm trying to weed out the rest of my three pages here or see what... <laughs> I could talk 40 minutes, and, and I know I need to be mindful of time. And so I, I don't want to do this injustice. But like if, you, if your identity flows out of who you are as a son of God, the natural response is obedience. And here's the thing. is like You could draw a line going from the top left going down to the bottom left because so many times we do this. We like, okay, I'm a child of God. I'm going to serve him and that inform, that I'm going to obey his teachings. I'm going to obey the law and that informs who we are, but that's not the way to do it because if you if you function out of that side of the triangle, it leads to a pharisaical way of living or bondage or captivity. And here's here's the deal with this. I am very thankful. Hear me today and I know I have family in the room and I know people that have grown up in the same background as I have. And so hear me, I am so thankful for my holiness background. However, this isn't equated to my parents. Again, I have godly parents. I'm a, a preacher's kid. My dad is still a pastor to this day. I look up to him tremendously. So proud of my parents. However, growing up, there was things like this. I'm going to use some ridiculous extremes, okay? But nevertheless, this was my context. There was, there was people, there was preachers that preached against having a microwave because it looked like a TV. Wish I was joking. <laughs> there was people, there was preachers who I was told that would not allow pepper in their house because pepper apparently equates to being sexy. I was like, well, dang it. How am I going to have my um, sausage gravy without pepper? I love gravy, as you can tell. So, like, I was very, it was very, the, the background that I was raised in was very, like, how you looked, how you acted. I'm not saying that none of this isn't important. 
But it so influenced me to where I lived, I lived, I lived in bondage. Because every time I put pepper on my... <laughs> every time I sinned, I felt, man, if I didn't apologize or confess to Jesus right away and he came back, I was going to hell. Literally. That's, I lived in that. It was very performance-based. And here's the thing. I know in a room this size that I'm hitting on somebody's background too or I'm hitting something that has to be resonating because this is very common for us. Remember I said earlier, knowing who I am will influence how I live. And so point number four, sorry, this is a little jumbled, but I'm, I'm behind time. And so point number four is this. When we are adopted into the family, we are then an heir to Jesus. I'm going to briefly go through a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. He says, and, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message and truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal that we talked about, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And catch this, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And then 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And catch this, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Never perish, spoil, or fade, but that is kept in heaven for you. So the bottom line is, if we are Christians and children of God, we are loaded. (laughs) Think about that. I know some of you are like how I was this week. Well, God, can I just please uh, get like um, uh, an advance on some of that? <laughs> just right, just a little, little advance. <laughs> Not only does being an heir guarantee our future inheritance like we talked about, but it signifies our position as a royal priesthood. And so I want to move to our second triangle. I'm, I'm going to leave out First Peter 2, 9 through 10, sorry. Um, but it, he talks about you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and this is very important. But I want to move to that second triangle. So at the top of that triangle, because these things go very well together, it's almost so really you can't talk about the one without talking about the other. And again, I feel like I'm not going to do it justice because I'm flying through it. But right king, like it says up here, right king at the top of that triangle. You see, not only is he our father, but he is our king. Then at the bottom right, write authority. And I love how Mike Breen, so Mike Breen, I got this image from uh, the book Covenant and Kingdom by Mike Breen. Very, very good book. It's the DNA of the Bible and with the layers of Covenant and Kingdom all throughout the Bible. Very good book. And here's what I love how he said this. The king is completely committed to his subjects, desiring that they might fully reflect him as they represent him. Doing all that he did and living as he lived. You see, authority simply means the qualification to act. Knowing who we are will determine how we live. I mean, think of the the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me 
go and make disciples. We have kingdom authority. Can I get an amen for that? There we go. The last point is power. Out of our king and our royal priesthood and the authority that we have in Jesus, our power is given to us through him. Similar to Jesus, our power comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's the deposit we received. To sum up both of these, I again want to um, use Breen's quote on this because he sums it up really well. Covenant is the way in which the Bible describes and defines relationship. So think of relationship. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with everyone else. So covenant equals relationship. Kingdom is the way which the Bible describes and defines responsibility. First, our responsibility to represent God to the people we know, and then to everyone else, our relationship and our responsibility. So let's say our key statement again this morning before we kind of wrap this up. I believe I am significant because of my position. I'm going to ask for the band to come up this morning. And as we start to close today, like I just hope that this is been eye-opening to you because we get a privilege and this this is how it worked out today i would like to say i planned this weeks ago in advance but this is how it worked out today but all the more why this is cool that today we get to respond through communion because communion is a remembrance of the covenant we've talked a lot about covenant today in fact, there's, there's at least eight different covenants represented in the Bible, and I had no time, as you can see, to talk through all those. But look some of those up. That's so powerful. But God makes covenants with his people. Communion is one of those things that is us taking communion this morning to reflect the covenant promise of our Lord Jesus Christ by his perfect sacrifice of his son Jesus It supports and informs our identity as children of God. Communion is for the believer, just like our identity comes from the Father once we have been baptized into his family. We eat the bread, so we take the bread and it represents the body that was broken for us. We drink of the cup of juice, which represents the blood that was shed for us, that perfect sacrificial blood that reinforced the covenantal promise of us, for us. And as we worship this morning, the, the, the band um, is going to lead us in this song called Simple Gospel. And I want you to pay attention to the lyrics of that as it has a lot of identity in the song. Has the word religion in the song. I'm laying down all my religion. I'm laying down the, the law or the pharisaical way of living because I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And so this, this morning we have three stations set up. And at your, on your own time, I want you just to process, but you can come and partake in communion together. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrificial blood shed for us. We thank you that we have this opportunity as believers to reflect and to respond in worship for what you did for us. May we never lose the significance of this, God. We love you, Jesus.
Amen. Let's worship at this time.